0: While Gallio was proconsul of Achaia, the Jews made a united attack on Paul and brought him into court. This man, they charged, is persuading the people to worship God in ways contrary to the law. Just as Paul was about to speak, Gallio said to the Jews, If you Jews were making a complaint about some misdemeanor or serious crime, it would be reasonable for me to listen to you. But since it involves questions about words and names and your own law, settle the matter yourselves. I will not be a judge of such things. So he had them ejected from the court. Then they all turned on Sosthenes, the synagogue ruler, and beat him in front of the court.
1: But Gallio showed no concern whatever.
0: Paul stayed on in Corinth for some time. Then he left the brothers and sailed for Syria, accompanied by Priscilla and Aquila. Before he sailed, he had his hair cut off at Chencheria because of a vow he had taken. They arrived at Ephesus where Paul left Priscilla and Aquila. He himself went into the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. When they asked him to spend more time with them, he declined. But as he left, he promised, I will come back if it is God's will. Then he set sail from Ephesus. When he landed at Cesarea, he went up and greeted the church and then went down to Antioch. After spending some time in Antioch, Paul set out from there and traveled from place to place throughout the region of Galatia and Peregia, strengthening all the disciples.
1: Welcome to Acts, our verse-by-verse journey (laughs) through Acts. The story of how the early church continued the ministry that Jesus had begun. In today's story, an evangelist, apostle named Paul is ministering in Corinth, and some enemies rose up and took him to court. This is around 51 AD because the Romans kept good records of who was in charge of whom and when. Around 51 AD, Gallio was a proconsul or the regional overseer of Achaia, which is a part of the world we know as the uh, southern isthmus of Greece, where Corinth and Centrea were. And the Jewish unbelievers with one accord rose up against Paul, brought him to the judgment seat, said, this fellow persuades men to worship God contrary to the law. It was contrary to their man-made laws. It was contrary to their interpretation of the law but it was not contrary to the fulfillment of the law, which Jesus is God manifested in the flesh, who fulfilled the law. Verse 14, when Paul was about to open his mouth, he's about to give a brilliant defense. Who loves to be able to give brilliant defenses? Just love to try. He wanted to, and he didn't get a chance. Uh, Charles Spurgeon one time was confronted by an angry lady who told him, Sir, if you were my husband... I would poison your tea. And he, in a calm voice, said, Ma'am, if you were my wife, I would be tempted to drink it. <laughs> Brilliant responses. But he didn't get to. Gallio said to the Jews, If it were a matter of wrongdoing or wicked crimes, O Jews, there would be reason why I should bear with you. But if it is a question of words and names and your own law, look to it yourselves for I do not want to be a judge of such matters. You know, the legal system doesn't deal with religious affairs here in the Roman Empire. And he drove them from the judgment seat. The language of driving them implies force. Some people think he probably used lictor rods. They beat them to get out. But one of them didn't get away quick enough. Verse 17, then all the Greeks, that's all the Greeks in the place that, were not believers, took Sosthenes, the ruler of the synagogue, and beat him before the judgment seat. But Galio took no notice of these things. He no doubt had some anti-Semitism. Notice he talked about them being Jews. Oh, Jews, if if it was wickedness, oh, Jews, we would deal with this. But it's a matter of your law, your stuff, you guys handle it. So here the leader of the synagogue gets beaten, probably with the same rods, and he lets it happen. He takes no notice. It's interesting to me that in Paul's first letter to this church in Corinth, he greets them, chapter 1, verse 1, and mentions Sosthenes, our brother. Sosthenes not being a common name, and Sosthenes being the ruler of the synagogue, and Sosthenes being the name, of a leader in the church, could it not be this very guy became a leader of that church? God was able to do miracles. He did with Paul, right? We'll find out in heaven one day. Verse 18, so Paul still remained a good while. The total of time there was about a year and a half. Then he took leave of the brethren and sailed for Syria. Now, he didn't go directly there. He left there with the intention of going to Syria, which is where he was from, Antioch of Syria. Priscilla and Aquila were with him. They were two believers from Italy that he had been discipling and helping them with their livelihood. They were tent makers and he was too. He had his hair cut off at Centuria. So you can look at the map and see there in the upper, uh, not in the upper, but in the middle to the left area there is Corinth and just south east of that is Centuria. So there he took his hair, he cut his hair off. Uh, related to some kind of vow. We do not know what that was, but he got a good haircut. Verse 19, and he came to Ephesus. So he sailed from Centuria across the Aegean Sea back to the coast of what we know as Turkey, to Ephesus. He came to Ephesus and left them there. So he took Aquila and Priscilla and left them in Ephesus, but he didn't leave just yet. But he himself entered the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. Look what happened. When they asked him to stay a longer time with them, he did not consent, but took leave of them, saying, I must by all means keep this coming feast in Jerusalem, but I will return again to you, God willing. And he sailed from Ephesus. Now, what's strange about that? In other towns, uh, he won converts in the synagogues, but eventually he got run off. This synagogue, they're begging him to stay, and he doesn't stay. A chance to stay, and he doesn't stay. Favor with the people. In Ephesus was a mighty church as a result of this mission. The book of Ephesians, to me, is like one of the greatest books in the New Testament. Everything is kind of in that book. All that is provided for us in Christ, and then how we are to live in light of that in this world written to those wonderful people. No real corrections are made of their behavior in that letter to them. So he leaves, Apollos, um, he leaves Priscilla and Aquila and goes from Ephesus and sails across the Mediterranean, more to the southeast, and lands on the shore of Israel, a coastal town called Caesarea. Now look at this. When he had landed at Caesarea and gone up and greeted the church, He went down to Antioch. Now, we think up and down north and south. I had a geography teacher that was always correcting us from that. He would point at our town and say, where is Chicago from here? And somebody said, up six inches. So he took his pointer and moved it away six inches. You know, he forced us to recognize up is here. But in terms of this, this wasn't north, south, or east or west, but it was in terms of elevation. Jerusalem was high in elevation. And so when you went to Jerusalem from surrounding areas, you went up to Jerusalem. So he went to Jerusalem, like he said. He landed at Caesarea, gone up and greeted the church, which was in Jerusalem. Then he went down to Antioch. So he kept the feast in Jerusalem, and then he went down to Antioch. Verse 23, after he had spent some time there, he departed. And here he goes on his third missionary journey and went over the region of Galatia and Phrygia in order, back in central Turkey, into eastern Turkey there, where he visited churches that he had planted, strengthening all the disciples. So he visits the people he got started in following the Lord. Now, a certain Jew named Apollos, born at Alexandria, an eloquent man and mighty in the scriptures came to Ephesus. So Luke is backing away from what Paul is doing and centering in on Ephesus in in his writing. Verse 25. This man had been instructed in the way of the Lord and being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things of the Lord, though he knew only the baptism of John. So he's from Alexandria, Egypt, where they had heard the gospel secondhand Heard through the ministry of John the Baptist. His fame spread far across the Roman Empire. So he preached what he knew. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue, verse 26 in Ephesus. When Aquila and Priscilla heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of the Lord more accurately. He wasn't preaching falsehood. He just didn't know everything. He didn't know about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. In the next chapter, we find some followers of John the Baptist who needed to be baptized again and needed to be filled with the Holy Spirit. This was the pattern of the New Testament church. He probably didn't know everything in the Scriptures concerning the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. So they taught him the way of the Lord more accurately. And verse 27, when he desired to cross to Achaia, he wanted to leave Ephesus and go back to where Paul had sailed from. So Ephesus going back over to Centria and Corinth. The brothers wrote they wrote a letter, they wrote a reference letter, exhorting the disciples to receive him, "Hey, this is a good guy, let him minister." And when he arrived, he greatly helped those who had believed through grace, for he vigorously refuted the Jews publicly now he was he was corrected privately, but he was refuting unbelieving jews publicly why well he wasn't wrong in being corrected he just needed to know more so it was a one-on-one situation but in this situation it had to be public because these guys publicly were preaching error jesus is not the messiah he didn't rise from the dead he didn't fulfill prophecy and so he vigorously refuted them publicly showing from the scriptures that jesus is the christ the word Christ means anointed one. In Hebrew, it's Mashiach, which means anointed one. Mashach is to anoint or to rub with oil or to pour oil upon. Mashah, Mashiach is to be anointed. Christ is the Messiah. I'd like to speak to you for the next few minutes on the good news of the Messiah, the messianic gospel. It is the gospel. The Scripture foretold a coming Messiah. All the way back to Genesis 3.15, the promise of the seed of the woman. The man and woman had fallen into sin, and God gave them this promise through a curse given to the enemy. He told him there will be division between you and the children of the woman, but the seed of the woman will crush your head and you will bruise his heel." This is Jesus. He's the seed of the woman. Now, all the rest of us are the seed of men and women. Whether you know who your parents are or not, there was a man and a woman involved. Don't mean to be rude, but Adam and Steve can't conceive. It just is, you know. Ruth and Mary cannot carry. It's just, it's just the way it is. But there was coming one who's going to be the child of a woman who would bring victory Over the devil. Crush his head. Take away his authority. This is Jesus, born of a virgin, who heard the word of God to her that she had been chosen, highly favored. And she would bring a child into the world that would be the Savior. And she said, be it unto me according to your word. The Holy Spirit overshadowed her. That word came to pass. And Christ was born, fulfilling the first messianic promise who would bruise the head of the enemy. The Scriptures foretold a coming Messiah. They didn't just tell a Messiah was coming. These predictions were very detailed and they were given repeatedly. In your bulletin in the insert are some of the predictions, over 40 of them right here, and there's even more. He'd be born in Bethlehem. He'd be born of a virgin. He'd be a a member of the tribe of Judah. He would be a descendant of David. He would spend some time in Egypt. Children would be killed around the time of his birth. A messenger would prepare the way for him. He would be called Emmanuel. He would be rejected by his own people. He would be a prophet as promised to Moses. He would be called a Nazarene. He would bring light to Galilee. He would speak in parables. He would be a priest after the order of Melchizedek. He would ride on a donkey and be recognized as a king. He would be praised by little children. He would be betrayed for money. And this money would be used to buy a potter's field. He would be falsely accused. He would be betrayed and forsaken by his friends. He would be silent before his accusers. He would be spat upon. He would be slapped. He would be mocked. He would suffer. He would be beaten. He would be killed with criminals. He would be given vinegar to drink. He would be pierced. Pierced with thorns. Pierced with a spear. Pierced with nails. Soldiers would gamble for his garments, he would pray for his enemies, he would be buried with the rich, he would arise from the dead, he would ascend into heaven, and he would sit at God's right hand. That's just a few of the prophecies that he fulfilled. And so when Apollos showed from the scriptures that Jesus is the Christ, he didn't pull out John 3.16. The New Testament wasn't canonized yet, it wasn't complete yet, it was just being written probably at this very time, but you can preach who Jesus is right from the Scriptures, the prophecies of the Old Testament, the law, the prophets, and the poets. He's there. Deal with it. The first mention of Messiah in terms of a word is Psalm 2:2. another prophecy that Jesus fulfilled. These predictions were used in evangelism. This is what the early church used when they preached the gospel. So... If someone says they don't believe in the New Testament, do not be intimidated. The, New Testament, the Old Testament's been around for centuries. These prophecies were there for hundreds of years before Jesus came, and it's ironic that he fulfilled them all. What are the odds of that happening? Mathematically, it's impossible. Well, I don't understand mathematics. Well, just think of it in its simplest terms. Born in Bethlehem. What's the likelihood out of all the people in the world, take the population of the world, and compare that population to being born in Bethlehem? You come up with a ratio. All right? What's the possibility that he would be a king and ride on a donkey, being recognized as a king? All the people in the world, compared to how many kings ride on donkeys? You just add all this stuff, it accumulates into quadrillions in terms of chance. You have a better chance of winning the lottery when it's at its record number than you being this person. So these predictions become familiar with them so you can share the gospel with people that don't believe in the New Testament. And obviously people that don't even believe in the Old Testament, these are very effective tools because no one can deny that they were there centuries before. It's all been corroborated by history. Apollos greatly helped those who believed through through grace and he refuted the Jews publicly, showing from the Scriptures that Jesus is the Christ. One of the Scriptures he would use is the entire chapter of Isaiah 53. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. And by his wounds, we are, everybody say are, are healed. We're healed from our sins. We're healed from the damage of our iniquities. Through his suffering, we have been redeemed. In the Middle Ages, some rabbis got together and said, we've got to deal with this Isaiah 53 passage. And this is what they came up with. They say... He wasn't pierced for our transgressions, he was pierced from our transgressions he wasn't crushed for our iniquities, he was crushed from our iniquities. well to me that just that just makes it even more beautiful. Our sin nailed him to the cross and as far as the benefits of what of his suffering what it did for us there's plenty of other scriptures in. Isaiah 53, they couldn't explain away that um, reveal the truth. So if they are correct, he was pierced from our transgressions, crushed from our iniquities. By his wounds we are healed. Our iniquities, our transgressions wounded him, and by his wounds we are healed. They also said that this isn't about a Messiah, this is about the nation of Israel. Sometimes Israel is called a servant. Well, that's true. Sometimes it is. But you got to read the context here. The arm of the Lord been revealed is how it opens. And he's spoken of in a singular. He will justify many, and he will bear their iniquities. Now, Israel is suffered as a people by the iniquities of the world. But carrying the world's iniquities for them so the world can be healed? I don't think so. Uh, They made his grave with the wicked, but with the rich at his death? That's there in Isaiah 53. Jonathan Kahn had this uh, response to what they had to say. The middle age, medieval age rabbis said in verse 12 that he poured out his soul unto death. They said the word there for death is plural. He poured out his soul unto deaths. So this servant has to be many people. He poured out his soul unto deaths, many deaths. Well, a person can't die many times. Well, if you understand the gospel and you understand Jewish poetry, it'll say one thing one way and say the same thing another way. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord set his countenance upon you, lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace. Three ways of saying the same thing. That's Jewish poetry. Listen to this. The last verse of Isaiah 53. He poured out his soul unto death. He was numbered with the transgressors. He bore the sin of many, made intercession for the transgressors. So if they are correct, if it is plural deaths, it's us. We're the transgressors. We're born in sin, shaped in iniquity. We're born dead. We're the living dead until Christ comes and brings us life. So the many deaths are the transgressors. The the plural deaths are the many. So He poured out His soul unto deaths. His soul, singular, His life was given for deaths. People that are dying in sin. He was numbered with the transgressors. He bore the sin of many made intercession for the transgressors. So any attempt to explain this away theologically through the Hebrew language, I seriously believe, actually brings out the beauty of the text. It just absolutely opens it up. So these prophecies are used in evangelism. Jesus was recognized as the Messiah. The two most obvious cases are Peter and the woman at the well. In Peter's case, Jesus had asked his disciples, who did they say he was? And Peter answered, you are the Christ, or you're Mashiach. You're the Messiah. You're the anointed one, the son of the living God. Jesus didn't say, you're wrong. He said, you're right. And on this rock, I will build my church. So the church is built on the fact that Jesus is the Christ. He is the Messiah. He did not disagree with it. The woman at the well, after he shared some words of knowledge with her, she said, I know that Messiah, called Christ, is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I who speak to you am he. So he clearly says in both cases he's the Messiah, does he not? He said it publicly to a crowd that he was the Messiah when he quoted Isaiah 61. Watch this from Jesus of Nazareth. And now, our uh, reading from the prophets. The prophet
0: Isaiah. Now, who, is, who is our reader? Oh, yes. My son. Today, Rabbi.
2: Uh, <laughs> <laughs>
0: The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he hath anointed me to give good tidings to the poor. He hath sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, to give sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord.
2: Amen. Amen.
3: Today,
0: in your hearing, the scriptures are fulfilled. Scriptures are fulfilled? Did <laughs> he say fulfilled? But how can he dare to say such a thing? What do you mean? The prophecy you have read. Can only be fulfilled by the coming of the Messiah. Yes.
2: Right.
0: By the coming of the kingdom of God.
1: He clearly proclaimed he was a Messiah. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he anointed me. He mashached me is the Hebrew, from Isaiah 61. What should our response be to that? Certainly not anger. Certainly not desiring to kill the one that's coming to bring healing to the brokenhearted. Our response is right there, there in verse 10 of Isaiah 61. I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall be joyful in my God, for He has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with a robe of righteousness. We used to sing that. I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall be joyful in my God, for he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness. Oh, I will greatly rejoice. Back in the 70s. Final point. There are other messianic prophecies he will also fulfill upon his bodily return here on earth. As wonderful as salvation is, the assurance of eternal life, the hope of a heavenly home, there's more. And this more is what caused some people to miss him. They were focused on these other messianic prophecies of his triumph, political triumph in the earth. They were looking forward to that and it didn't do that. He came and dealt with the wickedness in their hearts and left Politics where it was, as wicked and evil as it was, he came to bring change to the hearts of men. That's what's most important. Who knows that's true? came to bring victory over the serpent. So he fulfilled dozens upon dozens of prophecies with details, yet there's some yet unfulfilled that we have to look forward to. Upon his ascension in Acts 1, he left them. They watched him leave, and a cloud hid hid him from their sight. These were his followers watching him leave. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them, not above them. Right there with them. Men of Galilee, they said. Why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus, who has been taken from you into heaven, will come back in the same way as you have seen him go into heaven. Prior to this, they asked him about some of these other prophecies. You know, is this the time you're going to set Israel free? Jesus said, Father knows that. You go and be filled with the Holy Spirit and be my witnesses. So Christ's ministry is continued through people that recognize him as the Messiah. As we've heard the word, and as we've worshiped the Lord, we will, in a few minutes, leave and go into the world. Word, worship, and world. May the Lord use us as agents of the Messiah to a people that need him. Our nation needs Him. They're looking all kind of other places. They're even doing things to their bodies, trying to seek this emptiness to be filled in their life, thinking maybe I was born in the wrong body. They're doing things politically, revolutionally. They're doing all sorts of things, thinking they're going to find the happiness that is only found, joy, of the Lord, the Messiah, is found in Jesus. And we are that light. Not to condemn, but to love, to shine, and to patiently share our testimonies and to share from the Scriptures. That's why it's important that we learn the Scriptures as often as we can because they are the truth and the framework upon which we live. They're not plastic. They're not clay. They are the rock upon which we Jesus said a wise man built his house on the rock so is every person that hears what I have to say and applies it to their life let's pray Lord as we've heard the word and as we worship you and as we're about to go out into the world we pray Lord that you would make us effective witnesses for the Messiah of the world to everyone we meet Jew and Gentile Lord we have a story to tell and Lord where." The world is too much of an influence in our own lives, Lord. Help us to come back to the place of being centered upon you, that we might grow in you and have a witness that is powerful for your glory and your glory alone. In Jesus' name, amen. Someone who is a mighty witness in this dark world is our worship pastor, Sheik Anderson. He led worship here the first time, January 10th. 2010 it's been eight years and this is their last sunday to minister here as worship pastors pastor shake and karen anderson as elder gray comes forward
3: we're going to continue on in a spirit of, of honoring shake and karen bubby we wanted to present a plaque to you for your service here and the plaques reads this presented to shake and And Karen Anderson, thank you for eight years of wonderful memories and ministry. With love, and I can say that truly with love, from Generations Church of Granbury, and then at the bottom it says January 2010 through January 2018. What I hope you know is <laughs> your, your community and your home, right? This is your, we're your friends. We're, we're, we're your family.
2: Well, it's been a pleasure and an honor to worship God with you. And what I would want to leave with you is worship God with all your heart with all your mind, let him be a part of your everyday life. Every day you need that. You need God every single day. And keep your eyes on our Father. He's faithful. He's a friend. He'll never leave you. He'll never leave you. And I love all of you. And then we came to this church. We found love. We found family. We found people who accepted us, and it didn't matter what we looked like, or how we spoke. It didn't even matter what we thought, and they loved us in, in spite of our weaknesses. That was you guys. I'd had a habit of, of wearing a hat. And when I came into church I I would have to make myself take it off. Just to remember, okay, take your hat off. And I remember one Sunday uh, I had forgotten to take my hat off. And I got really convicted over that. I really got guilty because the church I grew up in that was almost a sin. It literally was almost a sin. It's, and so I looked over at Pastor Allen. Pastor Allen has a way of not saying anything but affirming you. You ever notice that? You might not say a whole lot, but man, when he, do, when he does look at you, you, you know that you're all right and you're going to be all right. And that was one of those things that made me go, I'm among friends. And then we had some situations that were terrible situations for us. I had some issues with my health. And you guys not only prayed us through, but you were there for us. I'd I'd get in the hospital and I couldn't, I remember going to the hospital a couple of different times. And before I could get checked in, Greg was already there. When my mom died, we had only been here a couple of months, a few months. When mom died, went home to see her go home. And I look up, and there's this white guy standing in the back of the church, and it's Pastor Allen. Didn't call us, didn't say we're coming or nothing. It just showed up. You guys have been more family than us, to us than we've ever had. because that's my brother thank you we're not leaving anybody abandoning anybody we love you God has an assignment for us and we accept that assignment in the season that he's moving us into and we would hope that we would see you a lot. And when we do see you, nothing's changed. Everybody knows I'm a hugger. So, if you got an issue with that, get over it, (laughs) because if I haven't seen you in a while, I'm going to want to hug you. But I say this, and I mean it from the bottom of my heart. My son, Samuel Miraka Anderson, loosely translated, that means miracle of prophecy, came into himself in this church because of the love of the members of this church. My wife came into herself. In this church, before she came, she wouldn't lead a song. She wouldn't sing out. She wouldn't do a... She could sing, but, you know, she came into somebody completely different. I looked at her one time. She was leading worshiping. I was going, who is that? (laughs) That ain't Karen. When we leave here today, it's not forever. I would... My prayer has always been that somewhere down the line, you could call me and I say, yes, I'll be there. Or I could call you and you say, yes, I'll be there. And that should never change. We love Generations Church. This is our family. We love Grand This is our home. You are our family. And that will never change.
3: All right. All right. You're honored. You're loved. Hallelujah. I said this this morning to, to Samuel, when you guys first started coming to this church, I remember Samuel would fit from your neck to your waist. I mean, we'd go out to eat, and Samuel was just a little guy that would fit right there on Karen and fall asleep, and it's awesome. And look at this guy now. Man. Amazing. So, and, yes. So it's been exciting to watch Samuel grow up, and and really, as you say, I, I think that we've seen you guys develop in so many ways, and it's been an encouragement to us just to watch that, to this community, to have you here with us and to be able to worship with you and under you. I mean, what a blessing. Let's extend our hands towards Sheikh and Karen and Samuel, and let's just pray over them very quickly and ask the Lord to uh, lead them so father in the name of Jesus we just thank you for this family father we thank you Lord God for the time that that uh, you blessed us to have them father God as as worship pastors father God and as integral parts of of this community that that you call Generations Church, Father. We thank you, Lord God, that as Sheik declared from this platform, that this is not the end, Father God, but that this is truly just a new beginning for Sheik and Karen, Father. We thank you, Lord God, for the testimonies that this family will come back to this body and report on, Father. We thank you, Lord God, that during this season, every need, every need is met. Lord, in the name of Jesus. We just trust you for that, Father God. I thank you, Lord God, that during this season that there is a new anointing upon Sheik and Karen and Samuel, Father God, a newness that can only come through you, Father God. I thank you, Lord God, for the new things that you will do in their lives and through them, Father God. We look forward to the new ministries that will be birthed, Father God, and the individual relationships that will be blessed, Father God, as you gather people into your kingdom through the efforts of Shay and Karen. Father, what a, what a privilege and a pleasure it's been to, to know the Andersons, Father God. We just thank you, Father God, for that time. We thank you, Lord God, for them. We ask that you bless them in every way, in Jesus' mighty name. And all God's people said, Amen.